Hi, this is Jerome Gilmartin, JMJ Catholic Radio. It's my great pleasure to introduce Mary Kate Grady and her new series of programs, In the Father's Hands. Uh, Mary Kate's guest for this, her very first program, is Dominican priest Father Ephraim Reese, parish vicar, St. Patrick's Catholic Parish in Philadelphia. Mary Kate? Thank you very much, Jerry. Much appreciated. Um, and uh, hello to all. I, um, this is Mary Kate Grady. I'm your host for this half hour program entitled, as Jerry said, In the Father's Hands. And our title for this program comes actually from the Gospel of John. That's chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. And uh, Jesus is talking about himself as the Good Shepherd. And he says in the verse there, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. And that's the verse that's the bedrock of our program um, and the title, In the Father's Hands. Uh, what a beautiful reality Jesus is reminding of us here that we have always been and are always in the Heavenly Father's hands. No matter what has happened to us in our life or what will happen, um, no matter who stands behind us or backs us up or, or doesn't, we're always um, supported and in the hands of the Father. And our kind of our goal for this program is to help us um, sit back and remember uh, how God has reached and touched us in our life, um, how the Father really has held us in His hands throughout our whole life. A lot of times, and I'm sure Father could agree with this, um, as human beings, we, we kind of had this amnesia, we were very forgetful, and especially when it comes to faith and God's um, intervention in our lives, we, we forget a lot what He's done for us, and I think it's important to remember what He has done for us to recognize what He's doing for us now. And so uh, on this program, we're interviewing different people to share their stories of how the Father has held them in His hand, um, and how He's holding them now, how He's guided them in their life. And um, so that's why we're having Father Ephraim. Thank you so much, Father, for joining us today. Thank you, Mary Kate. Thank you for having me on. And uh, Father, if we could start with, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, I don't know if it would be like a passage or a favorite um, verse from Scripture, if you would share that with us right now. Sure. Yes, this is uh, my favorite verse. It is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So Second Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, these passages, these chapters have a lot of rich stuff, but mm -hmm. my favorite verse is chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Why is that your favorite passage, Father? This is my favorite because there's a lot going on in it. Uh, it's dense, so it's a little mm -hmm. clunky. Um, it's not the most graceful, you might say, but it right, has. Right. Um, it begins with Saint Paul, uh, who was a you know a student of the law, and mm -hmm. he quotes or he refers to Genesis one. So, the God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness." So he begins with the beginning. In the beginning, God said, "Let there be light," and he's distinguished it from darkness. And then he goes on to say who has shone in our hearts, so he begins to talk about the light shining in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the glory that is on the face of Jesus, he connects this with the light of the first creation, Mm-hmm. Then, with a light that's shining in our hearts, yeah. and then he relates to this this final glory, which is already real, it's already shining on the face of Jesus. So, I mean, there's a lot you that can is, say about that. That is pretty packed, you're right. Yeah. Multiple, multiple layers there. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So, Father, sh- uh, share with us a little bit about the light shining in the darkness in your life. How... Um, you know, maybe share with us a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind, and then we can kind of go into um, maybe if you could share with us a couple experiences of, um, you know, maybe when you've looked back on your life, how God has guided you or, you know, maybe an event or something where he really reached out and, and touched you. Okay, sure. Yeah, so I was born in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in uh, 1988, and um, my parents uh, had me baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church. So, okay, all right. And uh, my dad was not Catholic. My mother was. Okay. So um, I grew up not in the Catholic Church. They didn't really raise me in the Catholic Church. So I went through life um, with that character, that mark of baptism. But mm-hmm. I was a little bit, you know, sort of on my own uh, in terms of spiritual learning, spiritual did education. You, did you go to any other church, Father, or...? Yeah, so eventually my, my dad uh, and my stepmother started taking me to a Methodist church when I was okay. a, a teenager, a young teenager. So so what I, w- the place where I realized, really began to kind of meet God was at Methodist church camp. I really okay. was like head over heels for church camp. Yeah. This little camp in, in uh, Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. Okay. So that was where I, you know, I, I felt this distinct sense of being like outside of the world, um, in a community where people talked about God in a mm-hmm. sort of everyday way. How old and were you about then, Father? This was the, the sort of middle school years. Oh, okay, and, okay. And, and I continued going throughout throughout high school. Sure. So I was I was a little Methodist middle schooler. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, and. And reading uh, on my own throughout the year, but really it was like this experience of church camp where I had a sense that God was powerful, that people people's lives were changed by Him, mm-hmm. and that there was a kind of like um, I don't know another world uh, in which the name of Jesus had a certain power. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, that's yeah, that's amazing. God was God was like he was he was on he was on the hunt for you from the start there. Yeah, and I would go home and I would go back to the air conditioning and I would be really depressed and but I would <laughs> I would read the Bible. I would try to like re I would try to like rekindle the magic by reading the Bible right. and I you know, doing that on my own, I was like starting at the beginning. Yeah. Like, what the heck is this? Yeah, yeah, sure. Wow. Genesis had a lot of strange stuff in it that I didn't understand. Um, Especially for a middle schooler. I bet that was like, what is happening? (laughs) Yep. So God was, uh, he he got his hook in me and uh, I was sort of, you know, going every which way. And it was, it was, uh, I don't know, it was a beautiful thing. I, I, um, and I'm grateful to many members of my family who were uh, very faithful in different ways and, and, you know, mm-hmm. different, uh, you know, 
ecclesial communities. Uh, and there are some yeah. Catholic members of my family who are always kind of a presence. Sure, so, yeah. So that that, was, all, that uh, all adds together. We all, like, affect one another, you know, whether we realize it or not. So yeah. that faithfulness in your family, like, helping lead you on to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in retrospect, I remember, like, one of the only Masses I ever went to when I was a little kid was um, the profession of a sister. Uh, she was, like, the cousin of my mom. So okay. a sort of distant relative, but yeah, I remember going to a profession of vows. And how unusual is that? A lot of Catholics don't even get to go to something like that, you know? Exactly. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. So that was always a big... As, the more I sort of studied uh, Christianity and, and, and prayed, I had the sense that, like, monks and friars and nuns and priests were just, like, a necessary part of this religion, even though I wasn't really... Right. Uh, I didn't know. I guess you could say I didn't know that I was a Catholic. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it grew on me over time, and and eventually, you know, when I I went to college, I uh, went to a, a, a great books program, St. John's College in Annapolis. Okay. And um, was studying the whole kind of Western tradition, but had this um, this whole variety of ways in which God was showing me the truth of the Catholic faith as the correct sort of interpretation of Christianity that I, that I loved from the Bible and from my, my experience right. with other Christians. Did you, did you know, what, at what point did you kind of know or like realize that you were actually a Catholic father? I mean, in a way, not until after I was, so I was confirmed in 2010 when I was graduating college. And I mean, I thought of myself as a convert. Oh, okay. So, you know, you sort of look up your, you start to, you know, ask around, like, oh, have I been baptized? You know, I need to find this out for my, for the priest right. who's teaching the class. Yeah, 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 you were baptized in the Catholic Church. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, a, that's like, I'm getting called home, like, literally, not like you're going to your home, but like, you, you were home, and now you're coming back home. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's neat. That's amazing. Wow. And I really loved reading St. Augustine um, in college. Uh, okay. So one of the big things about St. Augustine's approach to God is that he, he goes by way of his own memory. He uses his own memory as a sort of road to God. And he, he recalls his life, and he's able to um, see and hear God in ways that he didn't at the time. So by, by sort of searching our own history and our own memory. Wow, really, yeah, and that's like, kind of what I was saying earlier. It's kind of amazing how... Um, you know, you, um, like, like, you know, like when you tell like your story about your life or like your history, like, like how God's part of that story, but sometimes you don't always, um, realize it at the time, but I don't, and maybe you can expand on this a little bit, Father, like looking back in your life, which you did share about going to the Methodist camp about like God's hand was guiding you there and you don't always, um, you didn't realize it at the time, you know? But like when you go back in your memory, you're like, oh, wow, that happened or this happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he, he sort of um, lights these little flames in your in your soul and, and in uh, the world around you that, you know, you, you, you approach him in different places, you know, there's different sort of like places and times and memories which become these almost like little burning bushes in the world where you can, you can return and... and uh, Sort of see a little bit more, a little bit further into the into the the truth of God's providence in your life. Right, right. 
So now you're a you're a Dominican priest father. Maybe could you explain a little bit about how that happened? Yeah, I was um, after I became Catholic. I um, I didn't have any intention to become a priest. I hoped to get married, and mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I joined. Um, I tried to join the Catholic Worker Movement, and um, didn't quite well, that, find that's a home. Connected in that. to Dorothy Day, right? She started that. Exactly. Yeah, I was really moved by Dorothy Day and Peter okay. Morin. So, and they founded these houses of hospitality in cities and also agrarian communities. So it was an attempt to do a lot of different things. But right, right. But one thing that I really, you know, just I mean, from reading scripture, I just saw how often the poor are mentioned and how mm-hmm. the, the justice and the knowledge of God that we're seeking. Uh, by studying him and by worshiping him, it's all of a piece with uh, charity towards the poor. So Dorothy Day was a big um, motivator for me to enter the Catholic Church. It was just this very, there were a lot of ancient voices in my head, but right, hers right. was just very modern. It was very like, this was someone I, I felt like I knew. Like you could relate to her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was, it, she, she was compelling. So... The Catholic worker didn't particularly work out for me as a, as you know, a, a layman. But I, I watched a movie about Oscar Romero. And, okay, uh, I think I've I seen realized. that. Is it is it called Romero? It's called Romero. Yeah. yeah, I have seen that movie actually. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and that was that was a new, that was a new picture of the priesthood for me. I didn't realize the Catholic priests were like that, sort of like quiet and studious and like. You know, didn't really want any trouble, but could be right. called into, you know, situations which are like ancient martyrdom. Yeah, and just like, just for our listeners, too, so just a little explanation in case they don't know about, um, I believe he's Archbishop Romero. Um, mm-hmm. There was, you know, there was, he kind of got involved, like, in his own right, in his country, the fight for justice, and there was a lot of political upheaval, um, you know, and so he was, he, you know, was kind of put in a spot of whether he... Um, like was kind of to speak out and defend his people um, who were like suffering under harsh government conditions or if he was just going to kind of like <clears throat> be like a good priest, not say anything. And like that was his big dilemma of like, you know, fighting for the people, but, you know, not not necessarily taking up arms, but um, standing up for their rights as their bishop. Right. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a little bit about him in case anyone doesn't know of him. Um so you, exactly. so you saw that movie, and, and kind of where did that take you, Father? Well, I mean, uh, I had these sort of reasons in my head why I shouldn't be a priest um, from, you know, thinking about Protestant pastors I had known, and I just hadn't met that many Catholic priests yet, so sure. the reasons all just kind of fell away, and I, and I definitely had this sense of, like, I mean, I stayed up all night praying, basically, thinking, God, are you calling me to be a priest? Because I don't yeah. want to. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <okay>. <laughs> but I can. <laughs> yep, I'm free to do so. <clears throat> so after that, I thought, well, I've always loved these kind of religious orders, and I wanted to look into them. And I'd heard of, you know, I knew the Franciscans, I knew the Benedictines, but I didn't really want to be either. And I had heard of Thomas Aquinas, so I okay. looked into that. So the Order of Preachers, founded by Saint Dominic in the 13th century. Mm-hmm. Um, its most famous member is probably not St. Dominic, but St. Thomas Aquinas, who okay, came yeah. a good 25, 50 years later. But the Order of Preachers was pre- founded to preach the gospel and 
hear confessions, and so it's sort of preaching for the salvation of souls. And there's a form to the life, which is very communal, and it has okay. monastic elements, so we okay. are like monks yeah. in a lot of ways. But the life of sacred study is really emphasized, so that study of the truth um, okay. in Scripture, but also yeah. in theology, would be for the sake of preaching the gospel and saving souls, however right. that looks. Yeah. So I was very moved by that as, you know, a former Protestant and someone who sure. loved the scriptures and and to see that there was, you know, that you didn't have to be like charismatic and um, right. have it all together to be a preacher. Yeah. yeah. So I do have a question, Father, you know, with your interest in the Catholic worker and then um, watching the movie on um, Archbishop Romero and kind of that draw to like serve the poor, how do you feel that you're serving the poor right now in your uh, vocation as a Dominican priest? Well, um, that's something that I was kind of hoping to talk about with the, uh, the, the something impossible for God question. Yes, so let me, let me jump onto that. What, Father and I were talking about this um, before, but the other question that I did have for you, Father, was, um, you know, what impossible things in your life has God asked you to do, or is he going to ask you to do? And so then go ahead, Father. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's funny that you asked that and about, the, uh, about the poor, because one time in, uh, so in, in high school, uh, I went to this, secular school that was sort of, you know, focused on um, achieving, and so there was big, you know, sort of push for going to going to a good college. So they sure. took us on a college trip, Okay. and we actually went to Philly. So we went to Philadelphia oh, okay. as part of this college trip and visited um, Penn and Drexel, mm-hmm. and that was a big moment for me. I, I really loved the experience of visiting Penn and Drexel and just sort of seeing that there was, you know, in, in the city, this sort of possibility of a, of an intellectual life, of a culture right. of, of study. And I, and I saw that, that this was something that, you know, that I loved and that I wanted. But I also, on this trip, remember really noticing the poor in the city. Yeah. And uh, sort of, you know, with my Christian friends and sort of counselors from my, my life, I had, I had really been driven into this sense of nearness to the poor and um, the, the responsibility, the, the love of a Christian for the poor. Yeah. And it was hard to sort of see, you know, the, the, the great suffering of the poor on the streets and, and uh, just the, the number of people who were who were, uh, homeless and, and addicted. Right. And so it was just a, as a young man, you know, moved by this and, and feel frustrated by it. Um, right, sort right. Of confused as a Christian because you hear different things about you know how, what are you know irresponsible ways of treating the poor maybe um, mm-hmm. you know simply giving money or you know so as a young man who was on fire for the gospel, um, I had these both of these experiences in Philadelphia. Okay. And so it's a kind of I think impossible task. I mean the the yeah. poor, Jesus says, you will always have with you. Yeah. And and also this draw towards like you know an academic life, um, sure. a life spent you know in these nice mahogany rooms, reading books, um, yeah, studying, you know, yeah, wearing a wearing a suit and tie and studying and, and mm-hmm. you know buying expensive books and things like that. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it was this sort of, I felt torn um, by these two kinds of Christian, what seemed like two kinds of Christian vocation. Right. So yeah. I've really been, since I arrived in Philly a week ago, Yes, yeah, so that's um, the irony. Father just, actually, if I can share, Father, you just got transferred from Washington, D.C. on May 25th to Philadelphia, which strikes me as, like, really interesting that that's the place where you are kind of experiencing this dichotomy of your interest in education but seeing the poor. So uh, to me, there's no uh, coincidence that you're being stationed there right now and have only, well, have only been there really like a week or a little over a week. So um, no, there's, that's not lost on me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, it's it's a uh, it's a really wonderful thing and I'm really happy to be here. And and yeah, I mean just the it's I mean these these sort of memories are coming back to me now, especially now that I'm here. Yeah. Having wow. been you know, I spent my first year as a priest working for the Thomistic Institute, which is in Washington DC and it promotes okay. uh the study of Thomas Aquinas and it's very kind of academically focused. Were you teaching uh, there, Father, or No, I was working in outreach to uh, other campuses. So I was especially, you know, focused on this sort of outward um, mission of the Thomistic Institute to our campus chapter groups. So we have not only our head office in D.C. there, but also over 60 campus groups, which are sort of self-run by students. And we provide you know, uh, speakers and sure. a lot of assistance in putting on the local events. So, so yeah, I was not teaching, but I was doing a bunch of other stuff. Right, right. So now, now that you're in Philadelphia, what um, are you a parochial vicar, Father? Or what's kind of what does it seem like your role is going to be there? Yes, that's right. I'm a parochial vicar, and uh, and to go back to your question about you know how the Dominicans help the poor. I mean, yeah. um, so. We're in a nice neighborhood in Philly, uh, and nobody, I don't think, really, you know, when they think about the great religious orders that help the poor, I don't think that the Dominicans really spring to the minds of many people. Right, right. Um, So, you know, there's there's a certain kind of, like, uh, variety in the church that God intends for the... The perfection of the whole. And so, you know, if you want to join a religious order that helps the poor and erratically sort of luminous way you, mm-hmm. you go to the franciscans or the missionaries of charity or right other, right you know. yeah so uh but i do really feel compelled by the i don't know i mean you know you, you talk to the poor and you realize what they want what they need is god yeah they want god they know god intimately and in many ways they suffer from you know moral difficulties which result from poverty. So one of the great evils of poverty is not simply being poor, but it's that it puts you in a lot of morally difficult situations. Correct, yes. And creates bad habits, as everyone can sort of see. Sure, yeah. I think a lot of poor people recognize that what they need is, in a certain sense, the truth. Right. That is God, the way, the truth, and the life. And they're very near to Jesus. And so, you know, we have in them a sort of icon, in a way, of that nearness to God, that 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 child's need to be provided everything. Yeah. So, um, the I mean, yeah, the Dominican mission of, like, the sort of study of sacred truth has this academic kind of profile to it, but it's meant to be poor. It's meant to be a life of, of voluntary poverty, mm-hmm. where you become united with the poor, um, 
and having you know a certain amount of provision to do the work of of study and preaching, uh, you do it in as poor a way as possible, um, yeah. so that you can be available to as many people as possible, and so that you can not be attached to the things that obscure the truth. I mean, right. One of the big problems with money is that it sort of can it's obscure the truth. Yeah. Yeah. In many in many sort of levels of existence. I mean, yeah. in one's own mind, but also in society. So, it it seems to me, Father, that you know, you were talking about you know one of the aspects of of poverty, or really the poverty that we all have, is like our need for God. And so, it seems to me, as a Dominican, with such a focus on studying the truth, that you have so much to offer to the poor, because you know there might be other organizations or groups that can provide like. Um, bodily needs like food or clothing or housing, but the, also that drive and that need they have for God, I think that fits like hand in glove with the Dominicans and your spirituality, you know? That's right. But I think, yep, I think was, we're set up in a mighty way to serve the poor. Yeah, that was definitely a a focus of, of Dorothy Day and Peter Morin and the Catholic worker, that the spiritual works of mercy are just as important as the corporal works of mercy. So, you know, right, to... Right. to enlighten those who need to be enlightened and then in the dominican order yeah we've um i mean we're a sort of strange group uh if you've met dominicans we tend to have, you know <laughs> i have met a like, few yes yeah it's, it, we're always going to be like this and god seems to want <laughs> us around uh we don't really have it all together you know like say the jesuits or um have a kind of um really clear you know like gospel poverty like the franciscans right right but god seems to want the dominicans around to preach to everybody and yeah as long as he uh wants that i'm happy to be one of them i really love yeah that's that's awesome you know what father it's funny our our time's kind of running down on us here um and so i'm going to have you give us a final blessing but i look forward to hopefully keeping in touch with you and seeing kind of how how God's going to be using you down there in Philadelphia. And I encourage anybody, well, of course, we're broadcasting here from Pennsylvania. Philadelphia is only really two and a half hours away. So if anybody's down at St. Patrick's, and, and what area is that in again, Father? It's around Rittenhouse Square. Okay. So if anyone's down that area, you should go visit Father Ephraim. I'm sure he would love to meet you. And um, you know, maybe we could have you on again sometime, Father, in the future, and you could kind of tell us how God's using you. Um, in that area, and if you would, Father, give us a final blessing. Okay. Yes, it's been it's been great to talk, and yes, please visit us here at St. Patrick's. Thanks for Mary Kay for having me on. And uh, oh, you're welcome. I will give you all a blessing. May God the Father bless you. May God the Son heal you. May God the Holy Spirit enlighten you, and give you eyes to see with, ears to hear with, hands to do the work of God with, feet to walk with and a mouth to preach the word of salvation with, and the angel of peace to watch over you and lead you at last by our Lord's gift to the kingdom. Through the intercession of St. Dominic, Mary, the great mother of God, and all the angels and saints, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Ephraim. God bless, and hope everyone has a wonderful day.